0: Welcome to the Portland Christian Center Podcast. This is the audio version of our live Sunday morning gathering. To view our live Sunday morning gathering, go to pcctoday.com. Uh, please, please be seated. You know, that uh, I actually didn't know that that happened. I, I talked to your pastor uh, down in Salem a couple weeks ago, and he told me that story, and I said, like, you know, sometimes you intend to do stuff and it doesn't work out, and then you don't even know stuff happens that you made happen, and then you hear 20 years later that it actually happened, which is good. It sort of keeps you humble. So, so we continue today in uh, the series that your pastors have been doing on uh, the me I've, des- I've been designed to be, and we're going to talk today about renewing our minds, pathway to knowing God's will, and we're going to look at, particularly, Romans chapter 12. Now, this particular passage, we're going to sort of bounce around a little bit this morning, because this particular passage, we're going to look at the first two verses, and then we're going to sort of take a breath right there to look at why Paul would have said what he said in Romans chapter 12. So here it is, Romans chapter 12, verses one and two. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So Lord Jesus, uh, thank you for your word today. Thank you that it is sharper than a two-edged sword. Thank you it is lamp unto our feet and light unto our path. And I pray, O oh God, that you would um, reveal things to us today as we look at this text that we've never heard before. Remind us of things we should be reminded of by the power of your Spirit. In Jesus' strong name we pray. Amen. Now, this is one of the first scriptures I ever memorized as a young child. Of course, it was in King James. You can always tell an old guy, you know, spouting memorized scripture. It comes from the King James. And that's what it was for me. But I must admit to you that as I looked this week at this particular passage, you know, this is, this is the power of the Word of God. You can read something for years. You can hear something for years. You can study something for years and all of a sudden, bam, something hits you between the eyes that you've never seen before. That happened to me this week. And so I'm hoping that I'll be able to, to share with you uh, some of that that sort of came alive to me this morning. Uh, if you're wanting to get a larger picture of what really is going on here, we have to get a 35,000-foot level view. And, you know, getting the 35000 View is really important, like, for instance, my daughter, my oldest daughter, is a person who loves Wizard of Oz. Uh, we, my wife and I have personally supported hallmark figurines uh, for the last 30 years. Uh, my daughter has her entire retirement fund is in those figurines They're there Now of course this is a wonderful movie all kinds of stuff going on you know we talk about the scarecrow who is in search of a brain the tin man in search of a heart uh the cowardly lion in in search of courage and we have this cute little story you know with Judy Garland and it's just sort of neat and we talk about Toto and you're not in Kansas anymore but the truth of the matter is that this story this film was based on a book written in 1896 by a guy named Frank Baum and if you were a person in that day you would understand that it wasn't a cutesy story it was political satire it was similar to uh, Jonathan Swift's Gulliver's Travel. That's a cute little story about a giant and a little people. No, it's a political satire. It's allegory. And if you understand that larger picture, you understand what really the whole story is about. Now, that doesn't keep you from enjoying, you know, The literally, you know, following the yellow brick road and that sort of thing. But there's more to it. If you really want to understand what he intended, you really have to understand that. That's why it's so important for us to get an understanding of the 35,000-foot view. And that really is the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans. The first 11 chapters of the book of Romans are a deep dive into what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And it also is giving us an understanding of what Paul is after. He is after helping us understand that this story of redemption is not just about us. That in fact we have been saved for a purpose. We have been saved to be part of a group of people who Heather said this morning in a sense are to demonstrate to the world what it means to be reconciled to God. So that is the larger picture here that Paul is getting after. And he's doing it to a group of people who are really diverse we have a group of people who have been around for a while they they are people who believe that their identity is as the people of God they are historical Jewish people and they of course impact the early church it's understandable that they would bring in all of that background that they had and they would sort of in a sense uh, uh, bring the character of the early church but then of course God is doing some extraordinary things he is beginning to pour out his spirit and draw into people all the diverse peoples of the Mediterranean world. And these peoples come with their backgrounds, impacted by the cultures of their world. So you have the sort of established members and you have the newbies, okay? And they all come together in this somewhat messy relationship. And there is no small tension. And what Paul is trying to say is that because of this common experience you have had in Jesus Christ, you need to understand how powerful that is. Because it is important for you to understand that as you've come to Jesus Christ, you have been made for a particular purpose. You have been made to declare the glorious light of Jesus' presence to this world. Paul, in another portion of scripture found in Ephesians chapter 2, gives us sort of further insight into what he is really up to. He says this in Ephesians 2, 18, for through him we both, notice, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple of the Lord. In him you also are built, being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So, you know, what is this Sort of background here. Remember, in Romans one through eleven is, in a sense, a compilation. It's a deep dive into theology, but it's really summarized in several verses. Three twenty three says, "For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God." Romans eight one talks about the fact that there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. You are people who have been saved from darkness and brought into glorious light. You are people for whom there is no condemnation. And because you have had that common experience, get ready for that next step that God wants to make you. What does he make you, what does he want to make you into? He wants to make you into this case study to the world of what it looks like to be reconciled to Jesus Christ. He has called you to be God's people. So as we look at that particular text as we start and come back to Romans 12 it says I beseech you therefore brothers by the mercies of God I beseech you therefore okay anytime you see the word therefore it's good for you to find out what therefore is therefore okay and 1 through 11 is what it's there for. okay he says I beseech you therefore notice The you is plural. I beseech you. You who are the folks who've been around a while. You who are the newbies. You who have been bought by the same price that Jesus Christ gave. You who have been brought out of darkness into glorious light. You, I beseech you. I appeal to you. Listen up. Listen up. I appeal to you by the mercies of God. You know, the the thing that's really interesting is I hear sometimes people talking about, I found Jesus. No, he found you. Let's get this straight. You You were enjoying yourself. You know, you may have been messing your life up, but you weren't looking for Jesus. You were looking for something that might satisfy you, but the only one who could was the person who found you. That is Jesus. And whether you came because you understood this, because you'd been around church for a while, or whether you came to Jesus because it was a long circuitous route that had nothing to do with church, he says that by the mercies of God, by the fact that God took the first step, you're here today. I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God, by the simple fact that Jesus found you when you were messing up your life, trying to do the best you could do, when you didn't even know there was a problem. You know, Paul says, in also in Romans, in that one through 11 passage, he says, you know, you know the fact is that we were, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we thought we were doing jolly well, he was already making a plan by which we could come into relationship with him. And then he says, I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Now, that would be to a lot of these Gentiles, the folks who were living in the Mediterranean world that had nothing to do with scripture or Bible or anything like that. This would have been an unfamiliar thing because they really thought that if they had an encounter with God, that was cool. But what they did every day with their lives was their own business, okay? So in a sense, they could, they could have an encounter with God, they could have a wonderful worship experience in church, and they could go and do what they jolly well pleased during the rest of the week. But Paul doesn't allow that to occur. Now what's interesting is we, we, we often say, come, come to Jesus as you are. That's absolutely true. But when you get there and he changes your life, there's a reasonable expectation that he has something to say about the way you live your life from that point on. So he says, present your bodies a living sacrifice. He's basically saying, I have dibs on you 24-7. Every aspect of your life is something that I now, in a sense, have words to say about. I have direction for your life, not because I'm trying to restrict you, but because I'm trying to help you live into my plan for your life. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. So that living sacrifice thing. We talked, you know, we talked today as we took communion about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ about the fact that that sacrifice included death. It included the death of Jesus Christ. And usually when we think about sacrifice, what do we think about? We think about death because it pays for something. What he says here is present your bodies, that is every aspect of your life, as a demonstration that what Jesus did for you really matters. Give your life... To what really matters. Present your bodies a living sacrifice wholly acceptable unto God. This is sort of the direction. What is this holy and acceptable plan? We're gonna see that in just a minute. But the reality is, is that, that God does have a plan. His plan is that none should perish. His plan is that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And he does that through a group of people like you and me. We are plan A, there's no plan B. And so Paul is trying to get this straight. He's built this huge background of one through 11. I mean, some of the deepest writings. This is not something you read before you go to bed at night and say, wasn't that, oh man, that just... It'll put you to sleep, okay? Because it is so deep. It takes your study. It takes your understanding. But what really is happening here is that you are gaining an understanding of what really God is up to, what He's really up to as He changes your life every day. And then He says something that is uh, a bit uh, a bit tough to handle. He says, "Do not be." conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to this world. When he uses that word world, okay, when he uses that word, he's really talking about the culture around us that wants to shape us to its own values. We live in that kind of world, that kind of world that is aggressive about shaping us into their values all around us the music the constant chatter on the internet all of it is aimed at us to shape us to a particular perspective that the influencers and uh the followers really are 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 in a sense trying to get straight so he says don't be conformed to that don't allow the world that is around you all those priorities that are calling for your attention and calling for your favorite don't be conformed to those things don't let them press you into their mold dr martin luther king back before he became really famous uh, spoke a sermon in about the mid-1950s calls called the false gods of america and in that sermon he said this, there is so much frustration in this world because we've relied on gods, not God. These transitory gods are not able to save us or bring happiness to the heart, only God is able. I think if Paul and Dr. King were in the same room, they'd be patting each other on the back. Paul would say, be not conformed to this world, and Dr. King would say, don't be conformed by those transitory gods, those gods, those values, those things that are here today and gone tomorrow, those kinds of things that are, are in a sense, will do nothing but destroy who you really are. This is, this is, in a sense, Paul's way of saying, realize that the world around you that you've come out of is powerful. It is not to be dealt with. What you need is, he says, is a renewing of your mind. So don't be conformed to those transitory gods around you, but be renewed by this new perspective that has come because you have encountered Jesus Christ. By his mercies, he has changed your life. Transformed by the renewing of your mind. That renewing of your mind, I mean, that, that's a powerful statement. What's really interesting is, is that as we gain more scientific understanding, there's really brain studies going on right now that can look at people's brains and the activity of while, why they, while they pray and while they pray in the spirit, the kinds of cognitive things that actually happen in their brains for positive. That in fact, their cognitive structures are actually being changed. That is what's occurring when the Spirit comes into our life and begins to give us a new alternative, a new way of seeing the world. Paul would be somebody who understood what it meant to be renewed in his mind. Remember, he is Saul of Tarsus. He's a guy who is pretty destructive to early Christians. He's a guy who's sort of coordinating all these terrorist attacks on, on Christians, and he's on his way to one of those, uh, going to Damascus with legal authority to persecute Christians. He has an, a direct encounter with Jesus Christ, and Jesus has this conversation, says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Imagine having that conversation with God. And of course, I mean, it is an overwhelming experience for Saul It's an overwhelming sympathy. And he doesn't talk much about it in scripture. And until he gets to the end of his life. And in Acts chapter 26, when he's under arrest, when he's coming close to actually going to Rome under arrest because he's appealing to Caesar, he tells us the conversation that happened between Jesus and him on the road to Damascus. And Jesus gives Paul an understanding of what is going to shape his entire life. He said, Paul, I am calling you to call people out of darkness into glorious light and from the power of Satan to the power of God. That is exactly what happened tall of Sars- tall, tall of Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus. We'll try that again. Saul of Tarsus, okay? Saul... <coughs> Saul had this incredible encounter with Jesus Christ. It changed his life completely. It and this conversation that he has with Jesus actually shaped his entire life. Is it any wonder that he would say to folks, "Don't be conformed to the priorities of the world, but be renewed by an encounter with Jesus that changes you from darkness to light, from the power of Satan." to the power of God. That is the kind of renewal that you need to understand is going on in your life. Why is chapter one to 11 so important? It's so important because that is the deep dive into the foundation of what it means to be renewed in our mind. And we can count on the present tense of Jesus The Holy Spirit to come and give us insight every day into those situations that we face. The messiness of life. Can we be renewed in our minds so we see a completely new perspective? You know what it is to feel that you are boxed in. You have no alternatives. But what Paul is saying here is allow that encounter you had with Jesus Christ that exchanged darkness for light and the power of Satan to the power of God, allow that to penetrate those moments where you want to throw up your hands and say, I'm done. Our salvation is not some sort of ideology or philosophy. It's not some sort of inside track where we have sophisticated thinking and a secret handshake that sort of demonstrates, whoa, we got it right. This is an ongoing relationship with Jesus Christ that overwhelms us with this eternal sense of what he's done for us and the eternal sense of what he has called us to be. You've been saved and placed into the body of Christ to be a cadre of folks who claim to have met Jesus and have been changed forever. That's what you are. That's who you are. That's what Portland Christian Center is here to do. We prayed today that in the middle of Metro PDX, I mean, we live in a place certainly like the place that Paul is writing about. You have to realize that Paul is writing this letter to Rome from Corinth. He's writing it from sort of the Las Vegas of the ancient world. You read 1 Corinthians chapter 5. These folks who have encountered Jesus Christ have allowed the culture of their day to so shape them that they're actually proud of incestuous relationships that they have. When you look at, for instance, chapter 14, you know, they would have these community dinners together. We would call them potlucks. They have community dinners and everybody would come, but some people had to work late. And the folks who got there early drank all the wine and got drunk, imagine. This is the kind of church that Paul, this is the church that Paul is writing from to Rome. He understands that this renewing of our mind has to be a daily divine encounter. That the shaping of our world that even wants to shape the way we understand Jesus Christ is a powerful deal. But one who is more powerful has changed our life. And so he then says, What is the good and acceptable perfect will of God? Well, what's the good and acceptable perfect will of God? Well, continue reading on like verses, like verse three. It says, for the grace of God given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think. He's talking to people and giving us point by point what the good and perfect will of God is. For those of us who've been renewed, who have realized that we've been brought of darkness into light, we have been delivered from the power of Satan to the power of God, guess what? You ought to not think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think. You ought to think soberly. It's like, well, maybe I do have some rough edges. Okay. And why is that important? Because the real issue here is not only you. The real issue is the people that you are a part of, that have been called to demonstrate to the world around you what it looks like to be reconciled to Jesus Christ. And then he goes on in verse 4. For as in one body we have many members. Look, he's not talking to you as an individual. He's talking to you as part of a larger group. And he says, for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function... So we, though, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace God has given us. So don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Realize that it's only by God's grace that you're in this place. It's only by God's grace that you have come to know who he really is. And then he says, you know what, I got a task for you. And I'm going to actually give you gifts or give you, in a sense, uh, propensities to serve well. He doesn't allow us to think of those things as, I have the gift of. What he's saying is, you've been given God's grace to shine forth as a unit to the world around you. That's what you've been given. You're part of this incredible group. So... You know, we've looked at this passage, and the thing that just sort of struck me this morning, i would always looked at this passage sort of individually, like sort of what God does for me, he renews my mind. Well, yeah, he does, okay? But the real issue is this larger perspective. We have been called as a people to demonstrate to the world what it looks like to be reconciled to God. In fact... That is so important in the New Testament church that probably the latest writer in the New Testament, the Apostle John, says this in John 17. He said, The glory that you've given me, I've given them that they may be one, even as we are one. I and them, and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved me, even as you loved me. Jesus gives the right to the world to say that he wasn't sent by God to redeem them if his followers do not get along. If his followers do not demonstrate reconciliation in the horizontal, people will be able to say, huh, I'll find another savior because they will not understand what it means to be reconciled to God. So here we have this this incredible perspective that Paul is giving us. You know, you have been saved for a purpose. And this isn't just about something you can think up to do for God. This is something he has already thought up for you. He has already made you part of this, this cadre of people who is going to demonstrate to the world what it means to be reconciled to God. And, you know, the reality is that that's tall order. That's a really tall order. You know, you may say, Brian, you don't know the people in this church. <laughs> you don't know. It's really hard to get along with. Here, here, let, me, let me just sort of stop you for a second, okay? Remember that this letter is written from Corinth to Rome. The people who would first have heard this read to them would have been among those Christians who were threatened by Nero, the emperor. In fact, they were the people who in the mid-60s AD were actually accused of burning down all of Rome. And Nero used them as, uh, as fodder for the lions in the Colosseum. He used them as human torches in his gardens. This letter was written to them. So just sort of take a deep breath and realize if the folks in Rome needed to hear this, so do we. That in fact, this issue of representing Jesus fairly is really a big deal. Really a big deal. So, you know, I I think the reality is that this message that we have here this morning is something that really needs to be heard because of where we live. The reality is, is that on a good day, the region we live in is pretty cynical about Jesus. And on not so good days, they're outright hostile. But the fact is that where hostility to the gospel is greatest is where the gospel is thriving most in this world. So let's just, you know, and and the fact is, is if I were to listen, I'm very careful about how much news I listen to. And the reason for that is, is that in my humanness, I can be overwhelmed really easily. I can listen to that, I, and it's, it's stuff that is certainly happening in the world. But the reality is, is that you listen to much of that. You can be overwhelmed, you can be conformed to the priorities of the world. What you gotta do is listen to the truth about what Jesus did for you. He took you from darkness to light. He took you from the power of Satan to the power of God. Does the reality of where we live matter? Absolutely, but what matters more is what happened to us when we encountered Jesus Christ on our own Damascus road. This is is important for us to understand on this Romans 12 passage. Romans 12, 1 and 2 is based on 11 chapters of understanding redemption. Redemption, therefore, so we can be God's people in a world that is hostile to it. Old missionary, his name is uh, Leslie Newbegin. I may have used this quote when I was here uh, about a year ago, but it bears repeating. Um, Leslie Newbegin was a missionary from England to India. He came back to India after forty year, Came back to England from India after forty years, and he realized that the England he returned to was not the England he left. And for the rest of his life, which was about thirty more years, he he lived into his mid nineties. Um, he began helping us understand what it is to be the church in places that are hostile. And here's what Leslie Newbigin, the old crusty British missionary said. How is it possible that the gospel should be credible? That people should come to believe that the power which has the last word in human affairs is a man hanging on a cross? I'm suggesting that the only answer, the only hermeneutic of the gospel is a congregation of men and women who believe it and live by it. Hermeneutic of the gospel, that is like a clear picture of, an interpreter of the gospel, are human beings who have been changed by it and live by it. That seems so simple, but it's really, really hard. (laughs) It's really, really hard. But thank God for Jesus Christ who gives us the victory. In this. Now, there is a, a picture that uh, Paul has in Romans 6 and 7. It's a picture of his struggle with the reality of every day and the reality of what Jesus did for him. He's in prison when he is, in a sense, writing this. And here, you know, he knows what it is to be prison. He knows what it is to hang out in jails. And he knows the picture of what happens in Roman jails. He says, who's going to deliver me from the body of this death, he says. Which is sort of his way of saying, I I struggle with all the stuff I should do. All this stuff I know to be true, but stuff it seems as if I'm always failing. Why is that? And he said, it's like a body of death. You know what a body of death was in a Roman prison? It was a literal body of death. And there would be prisoners who would die. And as further torture, they would tie that dead prisoner to your back. And Paul uses that imagery. Imagine that body decaying on you. He says, who's going to deliver me from the body of this death? And he says, thanks be to God who giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. My friend... You encountered Jesus Christ and he saved your life. We could go through this whole congregation and we could hear magnificent stories of what you were lost and how you are now found. Incredible stories. But today it's about the incredible story that God wants to write from that point on. What he wants to do for this congregation. What he wants to do as a lighthouse to this dark region. What he has for this congregation is really dependent on how you understand Romans 1 to 11. How you understand what really happened to you on that day when Jesus found you. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may know what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I ask the musicians to come. I'm going to ask also uh, those of you who are prayer workers to come down now as well. And I really believe that anytime the Word of God is proclaimed, the people who have heard it really need to understand that this is a, a moment of decision, okay? So, I don't know where you are today. But I'm going to ask you to consider what the Spirit might be asking you to do in response to the proclamation this morning. What is it about renewed minds that you don't get? What is it about being conformed to this world that seems to be pressing you down? What does it, what do you understand? Uh, What what don't you understand about what it means to be a follower of Jesus? These are really important things. And sometimes we need just to say, oh God, you got to help me with this. So I'm going to ask you all to stand now. And we're going to come to a moment to close this service. not going to take long. I'm not going to beg. And you may say to me, you know, Byron, um, the truth is that I can just pray right here. And you'd be absolutely correct, okay? I know what it is when, you know, a preacher gets up and says, you know, we've come to this moment of decision. I understand all those kinds of natural tendencies to say, you know what, I can just stay right here and do my business with God. Absolutely correct. But I'm asking you today to step out and come and pray with one of the one of your friends that are up here today. And the reason that I ask you to do that is I believe there are people in this place that if you just take that step of saying, I'm really serious and I need to share this with a brother and sister in the Lord, that God will honor that, okay? Now, I don't know what that is. I don't know what God has said to you today. But I am gonna say this, that if you'll make that move, just an act of obedience, like I'm serious, God, that there will be empowerment to you that will come in a short prayer with one of the folks that is down here in the front. Whether it is that you've never made a decision for Christ and you raised your hand earlier before communion, you need to sort of verify that with somebody. What did I really do? Then you need to come. Whether it's I'm having trouble being conformed to this world and I need to have an awareness of what it is the Spirit is trying to do in my life to renew me every day, then you need to come. So Jesus, even as we begin to sing now, I pray, oh God, that you would just uh, convict the hearts of folks who need to take that extra step today. In Jesus' strong name, we pray. Thank you for listening to the Portland Christian Center Podcast. If you'd like to hear more or learn more about us, visit our website at pcctoday.com or join us online for a live stream at 1030 at live.pcctoday.com.